Now, if you would please turn to the book of John, chapter 14. John, chapter 14. John, chapter 14. And I want to begin reading at verse 7. John, chapter 14. And I want you to notice in verse 7, Jesus has been giving instruction to his disciples on the night before his crucifixion. In verse 6, he made the amazing statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And then he says in verse 7, If he had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and we have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Now our text this morning comes from verse 8, where it says, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I beg you again today for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Please, Lord, take the truth of your word deep into every heart. May what we read and hear today challenge our hearts to show people the Father, to show Him in our lives. Dear God, I pray for any that are lost that you will convince them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment of their need for the Son of God, that they may turn by faith to Jesus and be saved today. Have your way in hearts as we seek to lift up our dear Savior. For Jesus said, and if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. So God, help us to do that today, for we ask it in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, this world has always had multitudes of people who refused to believe anything they couldn't feel or see or figure out. And yet they're willing to believe any silly explanation that there may be out there to refuse to believe in the true God of heaven. And some of those explanations are so silly. Like billions and billions and billions of years ago, there was a little piece of dirt that exploded. And out of that big explosion from that little piece of dirt that nobody seems to know where it came from, how it started, or what made it explode... But somehow out of all that came all the universe with all the planets and all the suns and all the life, the very complexity of life that is on this planet alone all came out of that one big explosion. And the only reason people believe that is because they don't want to believe in God. This makes it so simple. After all, billions and billions of years ago, I don't know about you, but my mind cannot comprehend even close a million years, yet alone a billion years, yet alone billions and billions of years. And that's supposed to be the explanation for it all, and it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Life does not come out of explosions. Death comes out of explosions if something is alive, but explosions don't make dead things alive. It doesn't make dirt more alive than it ever was. Explosions do not create order. Explosions create disorder. That's what explosions do. But the reason the gospel is rejected by the majority of this world is because it comes by faith, not by sight. You remember, of course, even the man that was in hell said, Lord, if you send Lazarus back to warn my five brethren, lest they also come to this place, 
And you remember Abraham's instruction to him was, well, hey, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, uh, nay, Father Abraham, but if one rose un, uh, came unto them from the dead. Well, one has come from the dead. That was Jesus Christ. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He arose. He's alive. Hallelujah. And they still won't believe. If another one rose from the dead, it wouldn't make any difference to people who simply don't want to believe. Now, in the passage that we read, it is the night before the crucifixion. The Lord Jesus has been telling his disciples what he's going to do. As a matter of fact, by the time he gets to verse 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, they were troubled about what they had heard. They had trusted that Jesus was the Messiah. And unfortunately, they had a false view, as did many, that when the Messiah came, he would deliver them from the bondage of Rome. That was not the purpose in the Messiah coming. The Messiah's coming was first to release us from the bondage of sin by conquering sin and death and the grave at the cross of Calvary. For had he not gone to the cross, then nobody could go to heaven. He had to go to the cross of Calvary. Let not, not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Now they believed in the right God. Now they needed to trust him and needed to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Thomas, who was always a doubter, it seems like, as we see, us, uh, see him through Scripture, he says in verse 5, Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? They should have known. Way back in Matthew chapter 16, he told them in verse 21 that he was going to Jerusalem, where he would be slain of the chief priests and scribes and be raised again the third day. He told them that again in John chapter 10 and verses 15 through 17. He made it clear, clear that he was going to lay down his life, that he might take it again. No man taketh it from, from him, but he lay it down of himself and he'd take it up again. Now he would do that. He had told them, and yet here we are the night before the crucifixion, and they act like they still didn't get it. And so when he makes that statement in verse 7, if he had known me, you should have known my father also. From henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Now it's Philip's turn to speak up. And he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Now that's a common problem for man. He wants to be shown. He wants to be able to see. He wants to be able to get, have an experience that other people have not had. And so Jesus says to him in verse 9, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? A lot of people today say, well, if all this is true about Christ, about God, about what the Bible says about God, then show us God. Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 24, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I want to major here, though, on Philip's question. Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. The reality is the truth of God can be seen in a number of ways. For instance, God can be seen in creation. The Bible begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke this world into existence. He spoke it into existence out of nothing. He needed no blueprints at all. He didn't have to get any building permits. He spoke it into existence, and when he did, it was right, 
the way he made it. And he explains how he made it was simply the word of his mouth. He's God. He can do anything. If he can't do anything, then he's not God. He did it all. Thank God. And that makes a whole lot more sense than some piece of dirt exploding and all the universe with all its so-called millions and millions of planets that have been flying through the air. There would be no order. There would just consistently, live, uh, consistently be disorder. And there would be no chance of life coming out of it whatsoever. But even the scripture tells us that. In Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, the scripture because, says that because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of the creation are from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You look about, you see the order in all of God's creation. You see the exactness and the very minuteness of detail in each species that are out there. We find that if evolution was so, it would be taking place all the time. But it's not. It hasn't. Still, species bear after their own species. Just like it says in the scripture. Over and over again, we have an example of God's eternal power and Godhead. Now, because they cannot read creation right, they have no answer for what life is about. You say, why is there so much turmoil that's going on in the world. Why is there so much? Nobody seems to have any idea of what is right. Now we could all say, well, that's because of the sinfulness of man. And that would be a good spiritual answer. But you understand, because they think all of this happened by accident, then life has absolutely no meaning. The reality is no life matters if it all just came about by some big explosion and that's it. As a result, therefore, they kill babies by way of abortion. And they think somehow they're doing right in doing so. They want to kill old people. They want to kill uh, unwanted races, at least to them. They want to kill unwanted nations. They kill sick people, euthanasia. Not only that, they kill the handicapped in some places. Nazi Germany did all of that because they had no God. They had no God. It was all just a particular race had the key to everything. No, no, God has the key to everything. He is the one who created all and he created with a purpose. So when the communists took over Russia, they killed millions of their own people. They are a country of no God with no direction, which is one of the reasons why they drink themselves into oblivion. What's the purpose of life? Nothing. Eat and drink, be merry, for tomorrow you die because they don't think there's a God. But they're wrong. When the communists took over China, they killed over 40 million of their own people. How could they be so barbarous except to have done that? Mao Zedong lifted up as a hero by socialists and communists when all he was was another rank murderer. A mass murderer of the worst kind. People need to see God in creation because only then is there purpose in life that makes any sense whatsoever. And thank God that there is a God. You realize that every theory of evolution proves that the other theories of evolution cannot possibly be so? And by the way, all of those theories are just that. They're just theories. Some people sitting around talking about how they think things might have come about 
if there was no God. And the main tenet, of course, that is out there has to do with that big bang. Well, it makes you wonder some things. How did that little piece of dirt get there? How did it begin? Who placed it in that particular spot? Who put that little piece of dirt? What you say, that would take a creator. Yeah, but he didn't make a little piece of dirt. Read Genesis chapter 1. That's how he made it all. Not only that, shouldn't all of it be the same age? Have you ever read about this rock is 70 million years old and this rock over here is a billion years old? Well, if it all came from a big bang, why isn't it all the same age? There shouldn't be any difference at all. God created things with age. If you were to look at Adam and Eve the day after God created them, you never would have said, oh, they're just babies. No, he created them as adults. And I believe any doctor looking at them would have said, well, these got to be older than a day. But you understand, God created them with age. And he created all that he created with some kind of age. I read, uh, this is true now, a paleontologist by the name of Mary Schweitzer from North Carolina State University, also an evolutionist, by the way. She was studying a fossil of a Tyrannosaurus rex, which had been found in Montana in the early part of the 20th century. And she discovered flexible blood vessels inside the fossilized thigh bone of a Tyrannosaurus rex that was estimated to be between 68 and 70, get this, million years old. Between 68 and 70 million years old. And the story read like this, even to the untrained eye, the tissue samples looked as if the animal died recently. The evidence seemed to indicate that the T-Rex fossil was young, at least just a few centuries old, certainly not millions of years. Dr. Schweitzer said this, I'm quite aware that according to conventional wisdom and models of fossilization, that structures aren't supposed to be there, but there they are. And she said, I was pretty shocked. Now I wonder where she's at now. But these people can be so blind. Went out in the Paluxy River in Texas, they found dinosaur footprints in the same strata with human footprints, which according to the evolutionists is absolutely impossible. The little film, the Christian film that was made from that, they interviewed a bunch of evolutionists. And you see them bending over the rocks and they got their microscopes and they're looking down at these footprints of men and footprints of dinosaurs that are crossing paths in exactly the same strata. And you hear them say silly things like this. If we didn't know that dinosaurs were around 100 million years or whatever it is before man, if we didn't know that, I think the statement is 150 million years before man. If we didn't know that, then I'd say those are human footprints. But since we know that, well, this is nuts. How could people be so blind on purpose? They refuse to know it. They've got their theory that's never been proven, and the other theories of evolution disprove their theory of evolution. But they cannot give themselves up to believe in God. But we do see God in creation. And don't be shocked. Go to the, go to the uh, Creation Museum up in northern Kentucky. Go to the Ark Encounter. 
There are scientists, literally hundreds of scientists, go to the uh, Institute for Creation Research out in California. Hundreds of scientists that believe very firmly in creation that you look at creation and it could be no other way than that it has a designer. We see God in creation and they are without excuse. And then we see God in preservation. What on earth keeps it going? You'll notice in the last year, we have tried to be scared a few times over asteroids that are running amok. Matter of fact, NASA's even trying to come up with a plan. So if one's going to do us real harm, they can shoot it down or break it up or change its trajectory somehow so it doesn't destroy the earth. After all, we've had other big asteroids hit the earth. We know because they got this big bowl. One of them's out there in Arizona. There are other, that, and that one evidently wiped out all the dinosaurs. Didn't wipe out that Tyrannosaurus Rex, but it wiped out all the dinosaurs. And you wonder if it did that, why didn't it wipe out all other life? I mean, that would have wiped out most everything right there. And yet it keeps going. Why does it keep going? Hey, keep your hand where you're at and go over to the book of uh, Psalm, Psalm 19. Psalm 19. God says a lot about our wonderful creation and how God keeps it going. And we don't have time to cover all those verses today, but I want you to get the idea. Notice he says in verse 1 of Psalm 19, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter a speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. Go over to the book of Hebrews in our New Testament. Hebrews chapter 1. And I want you to notice in Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The scripture says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Now look at this. And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the one who keeps it all together. If this world is a result of something that just happened, Common sense would teach us that the thousands of years it's existed would have changed it all. Or it would have gotten out of order. The deterioration that we see is a natural state of events in fulfillment of Scripture. By the way, that's another thing about these evolutionists. We find that everything breaks down. It doesn't build up. The survival of the fittest does not explain anything because it's false. God has kept his hand on the world working it down to his plan. And he gives us a number of prophecies of the end times. And guess what? It's working out exactly like he said. You know, it's interesting. We've talked a lot about all that's taking place over in Israel. This may have to do with end times. It may not. I do know this, that there's absolutely no sign that has to take place for Jesus to come back. He could come back this morning. He doesn't need Israel and Hamas to be fighting. But it is interesting how we see now somebody from the north trying to say that they're going to come down if uh, Israel continues to fight Hamas. Turkey's said they're going to do it. 
China from the east is bringing warships over uh, during this time as well. Man, you get in the book of Revelation, you read about the kings of the north and the kings of the east and the kings of the south coming up to Israel. You say, Jesus may be coming back real soon. I mean, that could be happening. We know what will happen sometime shortly after the rapture of the church. And that is that an antichrist is going to come in and rule the world. And it's set up for that, for people to give over to him. There may be a World War III very, very soon. And what happens when this man takes power? He makes a covenant with Israel, a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. And in the middle of it, he breaks it. I'm glad I'm going to be out of here, Brother Popwell, before that takes place. Hallelujah. But if you're lost, you'll get to see it all. Well, that is till you die during that time. But show us God. Show us God in creation. Show us God in preservation. But also show us God in revelation. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the scripture. God has given us his word. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We have a book that's God's book. Right here. God inspired his word for us and has preserved it for us in the English language, thank God, through our King James Bible. Hallelujah. I don't have time to go through all the proofs on that, but you can get on our website and you can go right to the, uh, right to the Sunday school lessons that Brother Snyder taught uh, for 12 weeks on not only the validity and history of the King James Bible, but the sorry philosophies of those who are doing all these new translations. You know why? They don't like what the King James Bible says. So they're trying to change the words. I got news for you. The Jehovah's Witnesses did that many years ago when they didn't like what it said, and so they came up with their own New World Translation. You say, uh, but it's the thoughts that counts. No, words make up thoughts. You change words, you change thoughts. That's the way it is. And thank God he has given us an absolutely perfect book. Paul in his letter to the Roman church tells us in chapter 1 that God revealed himself in creation. Then in chapter 2 he revealed himself in conscience. He's also revealed himself to us in his word. And we can see God in every page of this blessed book. You want to see God? Get in your Bible. Find out what God says about man and what God says about himself in the Scripture. God is totally consistent. We can see God in every page. Every page reveals the work of God. It reveals the power of God. It reveals the love of God. It reveals the wrath of God. It reveals the holiness of God. You see, God is holy. Psalm 22 and verse 3 The Bible says, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. When Isaiah got a vision of heaven and saw God high and lifted up and his train filled the temple, he saw those beasts, those angels flying in the presence of God and the cry on their lips was, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. By the way, 800 years later, John, the apostle, got a vision of heaven as well in Revelation chapter 4. And again, he saw those angels still flying in the presence of God and the cry on their lips, still, holy, 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 God is holy. Isaiah 57, verse 13, Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name 
is holy. He is our holy God. Now that tells me then that he hates sin. No wonder in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 he declares, But the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Not only that, we know that God is omniscient. In Psalm 139 verses 4 through 6, he declares, There is not a word in my tongue, but thou, O Lord, knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and hast laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. And then he talks about his omnipresence. That is that he is everywhere. You can't go anywhere God isn't. God sees you any place you are. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. The darkness hideth not from thee, for the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Again, Psalm 139. And God is love. Thank God if he wasn't love, none of us would have a chance. 1 John 4, 8. God is love. A clear statement. He created us. He loves us. But man disobeyed God. He sinned and that brought about death. First, our Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You've got a lot of churches today trying to act like some kind of nightclub with nothing but fleshly music, fleshly dancing, all kinds of wicked nonsense that really is more in tune with the worship to Baal than it is to the worship of God. What are they doing? What on earth is wrong? They've given people a false idea of a holy God who must judge sin and the fact that mankind in the eyes of God has sinned against him and deserves death. But he's long-suffering. As a matter of fact, in telling us he's long-suffering, in 2, John, or 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, he says that he's long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everybody to be saved. So he put his son on the cross of Calvary to die for our sin, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God doesn't want anybody here to die and go to hell. He wants you to go to heaven. So he put his son on the cross of Calvary to die for you. He shed his blood for you. He took your death for you. He wants you to have eternal life. But he says, but as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John chapter 1 and verse 12. Bible says in John 3, 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. In John 6, 37, he, Jesus said, all the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You come to Jesus, he will not reject you. He will receive you. The world may reject you. You may not find anybody on earth that cares a bit for you, but God does. And he wants you to spend an eternity with him in heaven. But you cannot do it without Jesus.
Now, as Jesus said here in the passage that we began with in John chapter 14, when Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. You want to see the Father? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. You know, way back in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, in that prophecy that is often quoted around Christmas time, he says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That is Jesus Christ. He is the one who saves, and he is the only one who saves. He is a God who will judge man, and all will answer to him. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. He is God in salvation. All of this was God's plan. The Bible says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Show us God. God says, come. Come. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. You say, preacher, that ought to be enough. Well, it should be. He is God in creation. He is God in preservation. It keeps it together. He is God in revelation. He tells us all about it in the word. He's God in salvation. I don't want to confuse you with this next word, but I like all the Asians that I've done so far, so I'm going to keep that up. He is the God of regeneration. You say, well, preacher, isn't that salvation? Well, it is, but it's a little farther than that. Regeneration. He, he makes all things new. He gives life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Here's the idea of regeneration. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things. I want you to notice this. It doesn't say old things may pass away. It says old things are passed away. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, you can try to change your works and all that. Changing your works is not going to save you. The Bible's still clear. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But that next verse. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. When he saved me and gave me new life, he changed me. As he changes everyone that comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now they see things totally different. Matter of fact, I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to begin reading in verse 9. He makes this very plain, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 9, notice very clear statements in the scripture here. Know ye not that the unrighteous doesn't say may not or might not, it says, know ye not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He said, be not deceived. There are a lot of deceivers out there. But be not deceived. 
neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now we're going to read the next verse here in just a moment, but let me remind you that the church that was there at Corinth, Corinth was such a wicked city in the Roman Empire that if you wanted to insult anybody, if you wanted them, if you wanted to basically call them morally empty, nothing but reprobate, all you had to do was call them a Corinthians and that would have been fighting words. To call a person a Corinthian was to call them the worst name you could possibly call them. That city was known for its debauchery. But Paul had gone there and won many of those people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we're going to see in the next verse that we read in just a moment, that many of those people had partaken in some of the very things that he says, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You say, well, preacher, if I've done those things, does that mean I cannot go to heaven? Well, let's find out because he won a bunch of people that those things had been a testimony of what their life was about. And then he says this, and such were some of you. Circle that word were. And such were some of you. The very fact it's in the past tense, that's what they were. It's not what they are. He said, now notice, the were, that's past tense, are, present tense. He says, and such were some of you, but ye are washed. Ye are sanctified. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I'm simply saying when God saves a person, he changes a person. It is not the change that saves the person. He does the saving. He does the changing. And buddy, if you got it, your walk is different than what it was before. Amen. You see, we see God in regeneration. When we see people that say they're saved, but their life is just as messed up as the rest of the world, why didn't they get it? You can't see God in a lifestyle that's like that. We ought to be able to show God in our lifestyle. I know he made a big difference in me when I got saved. I wasn't brought up in church. I heard, I heard and used Jesus' name as a curse word in all my young life. That's the way it was around our home. When God saved me, he changed me. There were things he took out of my life right away and other things he whittled out of my life as I grew in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God in regeneration. He changes people that he saves. I'm going to read it again. I just feel led. Somebody needs to see it. So look at it. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. He is God in regeneration. Here's one of the biggest hindrances to people seeing God. 
They see too many people who claim to be saved, but they don't see him in their so-called regeneration. There's no difference in their walk from any of the lost people out there. These folks still cuss. They still drink. They still do their drugs. They're still into immorality. The question is, are you saved? Does your life show it? Supposed to. Again, changing your life doesn't save you. But if you got saved, your life has changed. You're washed. You're sanctified. You're justified. Are you saved? I read this story not too long ago, and I think I referred to it not too long ago as well, maybe just a couple weeks ago. I referred to it as another preacher who I think first did this. Harry Ironside, the preacher from the middle of the 1900s, uh, had a similar situation. Harry Ironside was preaching on the street when an atheist come up to him and continually challenged him to a debate. And so finally, Ironside stopped and looked at the man and said, all right, I'll accept your challenge to a debate, but there's one thing you've got to do. Well, set a time up for this next week, and you need to bring somebody who heard your atheistic message, who was down and out, who was drunkard, perhaps, uh, perhaps somebody who was just totally given over to all kinds of immorality, and that when they heard your message of atheism, it straightened out their lives, and now they have a walk that is pure, and right, they're free from alcohol, they're free from drugs, and their desire in life is only to do that which is right. He said, all you got to do is just bring one. He says, and I'll bring a hundred that have heard my message of the salvation that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ, who when they heard it and received it, it changed their life completely. He said, I'll have some who were women that were totally impure and immoral, who hearing about Jesus Christ wanting to save their soul, it turned their whole life around. I'll have some people who were drunkards and their lives were in shambles, who when they heard the message that I preach about Christ, they accepted Christ and their whole life was turned around. And he went through a litany of different descriptions. He says, I'll bring a hundred. He said, if you'll bring one that heard your message and their lives were made better because of your message of atheism, he says, That's what you, you've meant your qualification to take part in this debate. And I'll have a hundred here who heard my message of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that it changed their lives totally for the better in their lives. Homes made new again. And the man looked at him and said, no. And he walked away. These people, some of them are academics who think that they're smarter than God professing themselves to be wise, to become as fools, the scripture says. And oh, they think they've got some good arguments to argue away God. Isn't it interesting? They used to say God was dead, but they found he's still alive. And God sits in the heavens and laughs, according to Psalm 2, at their foolishness. Show us God. For those of you who are saved, and you show people God in your life, what is done in your life. Ah, oh, we can show him in creation. We can show him in, his, in the salvation that he brings in regeneration. In the revelation of God's word talks all about him and introduces him to him. Do you know him today as your savior? Jesus said this, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Very clear statement. This is not difficult. 
You must be born again. If you don't know for sure, if you died right now, you'd go to heaven, you need to come to Christ. Accept the Son of God, and he will give you eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' sweet name. Lord, deal with hearts today, not only in this auditorium, but those who may be watching over the Internet. I pray, dear God, that you deal with some lives in homes right now. And they'd recognize their lost condition and come to Jesus. Lord, for those who are truly saved, may they understand that we are able now because of our salvation to live in a way that shows God to a lost and dying world. What a tragedy it would be for some Christian, someone truly saved, to have a life that doesn't show him. Have your way in lives today, I pray in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many can say this morning simply by raising your hand, well, thank God, preacher, if I died right now, I know I'd go to heaven. I've been born again, and I know it. Praise God. Would you slip your hand up as a testimony to the Lord? You know you're saved. You know you're going to heaven when you die. Wonderful sight. Thank you. Put your hands down. If you couldn't raise your hand, dear friend, listen to this Bible verse very clearly. 1 John 5, 13 declares, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. God says in his word you can have eternal life and know it. Is there someone in this auditorium right now who simply by raising your hand you'd be saying to me, Preacher, I don't know if I died right now I'd go to heaven, but I want to go to heaven when I die. Please pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up anywhere in the auditorium at all? Anywhere in the auditorium at all? Preach, God bless you. Thank you. I see that hand. I'll pray for you. And back here, yes, God bless you. I'll pray for you too. Bless your heart. The Bible's very plain, but as many as received him, to them give you power to become the sons of God. Are there some Christians here? You say, preacher, I, I know I got born again. But I'm not showing Christ in my life like I should, and I know it. Please pray for me. Would you slip your hand up, child of God? Would you do that? God bless you. God bless you in the back. Yes, another in the back. Others? Yes, on my right. Others? Father, now do a work in this invitation, I pray. Lord, we have a couple that do not have this matter settled about going to heaven when they die, but they could. You said, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I pray that today they decide to come and get this matter settled and receive that free gift of eternal life. I pray, Heavenly Father, for Christians who know that their lifestyle is not one that is showing God like they should be. You said if we confess our sins, we're faithful, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Lord, do a work in every life. I ask it in Christ's name.